Good morning, Guam, and thanks for starting your day the KUAM way. It's a group chat. I'm Chris Barnett. Remember, a starting lineup every weekday. We do a Facebook uh, live show, and today's a uh, group chat. We're kind of continuing uh, the theme that we um, started uh, last week. Uh, it's a common theme on the group chat show, uh, decolonization. Of course, we had uh, Dr. Robert Underwood and his uh, wife, Narissa, in uh, to talk about the uh, march. And uh, today we have the executive director of the Commission on Decolonization, uh, Mr. Melvin Wampat Bora. Uh, we didn't get to talk to you about the march, so just, I guess, right off the bat, the feeling that we got from uh, Dr. Underwood was that this is kind of like the time, you know? I mean, oh, uh, yeah. I feel like there's a convergence of all these different, um, you know, issues with indigenous pride and culture and language, and it's leading to this um, kind of like perfect storm of, of support. I mean, 2,000 people, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably the biggest gathering we've had in since the 80s, maybe. Um, I think that. Prior to that, the largest gathering was uh, when Dave Davis first filed the case. There was a Respect the Chamorro People rally that gathered about 640, 650 people. Right. And that's kind of the, I was thinking, wow, they're going to get 700. Yeah, I, you know, I was really excited about the march. Um, I think the most uh, encouraging thing for me was that you know, we the the march was not a, a government sanctioned event. It wasn't a COD event. It was really organized by a bunch of different grassroots organizations, um, and I was really encouraged to see the amount of engagement on behalf of our community. You know, it's one thing for our community to engage in the conversation and to participate in the dialogue. It's a totally different thing to have people actually mobilize and come out physically. Right. And to see that number of people and the diversity in that crowd, there was a whole group of. Uh, Filipinos who banded together and, and try to come out in solidarity yappies. and support. Yeah, yappies, shukis, right, there was yeah. a, a group of white folks there. I mean, there was a very diverse crowd, and I thought it was really nice to see that people were really engaging in the issue, and people were not just coming out to, to march, but to have conversations and to talk to people and to expand their perspective. And so, you know, we, we really got behind the effort, you know, because for our purposes, it's, you know, we're all about education. And so when we see people engaging in the conversation like this, it's a good sign. It means that right. the community is hungry for information and that they're, you know, that they have some, some connection to this topic, something that is, that goes beyond the politics of it. And I think that that's very important because those are the things that allow us longevity in the conversation. You know, those are the things that allow us to continue this conversation, continue this dialogue, no matter how difficult it gets. And that commitment is, is key for us if we're going to really elevate the amount of awareness in our community. What I thought was really cool was that um, you always see the same, you know, 50 people. Yeah. The, you know, it's the usual Mike, suspects. Right? Victoria yeah. And, yeah. and the statehood weirdos and why not. So um, we're kind of expecting that. But what I've always, you know, kind of said with, with these guys is that, you know, the academics, I mean, sure, that you know, they're a big part of it. But there has to be some kind of way for academics to dumb it down, I mean, if you will, I hate to use that term, and connect with the like, grassroots people, like you said. And right. I thought that was really the, the biggest victory is that it wasn't just a march with, you know, Mike Bavacqua and Robert Underwood. It was a march where you saw all these different, um, and they were a grassroots group. I mean, right. We're talking about people who have, like, nine-to-five jobs, yeah. you know, people who work Absolutely. for a living. I mean, it was just... Uh, that's crazy, and I was going back to what someone had told me when the Dave Davis um, decision came out that, you know, it was a blessing, and at the time I was just like, God, you're crazy. <laughs> but I, I feel like it, it 
kind of serving as this impetus, and you know, and it really cool. is. I, I mean, no matter what the decision was going to be, we were going to have this conference uh, this weekend. Right. But I feel like things are kind of snowballing, and I, I like it. And so we had this march, and we're riding that vibe right into this uh, decolonization conference, mm -hmm. which is uh, this week. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited that you know just in the timing of everything and the way that things have kind of been uh, evolving organically, and uh, you know I wanted to touch on what you were saying about this idea of accessibility to the conversation. I think you're right. You know, a lot of times when we talk about decolonization, we talk about self determination. Oftentimes the conversation is very exclusive, right? It really is is happening in the academic circles with the intellectuals, and that's great. You know, those are the people that we really want to be involved in the conversation, but that's not the way that we're going to educate the community as a whole. And you're absolutely right. There has to be a, a deliberate focus and, and effort to bring the attention to the masses, right? And to make it accessible to the common person. And that's something that we're, we're really trying to be deliberate with uh, doing this conference. You know, we, we've had a really high demand to, for people to attend the conference. Unfortunately, the capacity is, is very limited at the Sheraton. And so what we did was we, uh, we engaged in a, an MOA with PBS to live broadcast the right. conference and to yeah. also record it for rebroadcast. And in addition to rebroadcasting it, what we're trying to do is to uh, to take the content of the recordings and and really try to sift through it and find these gems, right? And, and find these these sections of it that we feel are very accessible, that are very pertinent, and and use them as a way to create more accessibility to the information. And so we will then take the recording of the conference and start breaking it down to short right. PSAs yeah, and content yeah, yeah. that we can use for mass media. And that's gonna go along with the education campaign. Right, so we're actually doing the same thing with the study where you know, we're currently, uh, uh, we just contracted a scholar for the self-governance study. Um, a team has just submitted their application to, uh, to do the second half of the study, which is the political status uh, analysis and predictory models. And so, you know, a study like this is really valuable and it's gonna have a lot of great information, but going back to your point, you know, of, of the exclusiveness of this information, you know, a study like of this magnitude is something that the average person is not gonna sit down and read, you know, in their free time. And so we have to be realistic about that. Even though we value it and we know there's a lot of great information, it's not enough to just do the study and, and, and assume that everyone's going to read Someone's it. Someone's got to go through and, and take the data out and you know, right. put it in a, in a format that's easy. For Absolutely. And so that's also a part of our contract with PBS is to really dissect the study and, and pick it apart and, and be able to present it in smaller, more digestible mm -hmm. pieces so that you know, our community can, can get a better idea of the process of decolonization, of you know, the predictions of how a change in political status will affect all of us. And that's really our goal, you know, is to be able to create uh, real clear accessibility to the information. And we're hoping that this conference is a step in that direction. Right. So, you know, we're, we're bringing in experts from all around the region and the Caribbean. What's exciting about it is that um, for a lot of people in our community, decolonization is this like big, new, scary thing. When in actuality, we've been doing this work for decades. Right. Um, and so, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to highlight some of the things that have been done here, but also trying to highlight some of the things that have been done around the world and other places, and really learn from the experiences of these experts. And so, so who are some of the um, experts? I mean, I've seen the roster, but I, I know you got the official word. So, who who are some of the people? Uh, that are we are going to be welcoming uh, the from our region. We'll be welcoming the former president of Palau, 
Um, we'll be uh, also featuring um, Dr. Carlisle Corbin from the U.S. Virgin Islands, who's also a United Nations expert. Uh, we'll be featuring a woman named Wilma Calazzo, um, who is a legal expert from Puerto Rico. Uh, Mililani Trask, who's also another legal expert coming from uh, Hawaii. Right. Um, we're welcoming um, Leland Bettis, who I'm actually really excited about. Uh, Leland Bettis is actually the former director of the Commission right. on Self-Determination. Yeah. And he was actually very instrumental in the Commonwealth negotiations. Um, We'll also be wel welcoming the Lieutenant Governor of the U.S. Virgin Islands, Tregenza Roche, uh, and uh, Dan Aga, who's mm. from American Samoa. He's the Director of the Political Status uh, Commission in American Samoa. So we have a really great mm. slate of experts who have, you know, who have, have, who have a lot of experience on their home front, right. but also have a lot of experience dealing with uh, both the uh, federal negotiations and with the international side of the conversation. So what we really hope to happen is to create these very clear parallels and allow our community to understand what the experiences are, the critical perspective, the challenges, where they've been successful, where they failed, and how we can learn from these experiences as we proceed forward in our push for decolonization. Right, and so uh, just uh, tell us the, the format, or, I mean, the, a lot of, are these uh, guests all going to be speaking? Um, they're going to be doing speeches? Yeah, so what we uh, did was we tried to organize them in panels, so uh, we're trying to really uh, bring like a Micronesian perspective and focus on some of the leaders within our region, the Caribbean perspective. Um, we also are trying to, we also are being delivered about how we present information locally. So we're, uh, you know, we're going to be welcoming uh, Professor Dr. Carlos Madrid from uh, Mark University of Guam to talk a little bit about the Spanish colonial history to right. put it into context. Uh, Dr. Babaku will also be analyzing the uh, the American period. Uh, I'm excited to welcome uh, the economist from the Bank of Guam, Joe Bradley. He's actually the person, the only person who has done an economic impact study. Um, and it, but it's dated. It's about 16, 20 years old. Right. Yeah. And so you know, we're it definitely we definitely need more of that happening. And so it's exciting to be able to bring his perspective in. I think that the question about uh, the economy and how big questions, right? Those yeah, are those are the big ones. ones. You know, those are those are the ones that a lot of people really lean on and are really worried about. And so it's exciting. And they to almost be able come to, with this like adversarial tone, like, "Well, what are you going to do if you go?" <laughs> right, and I think that that's a, that's the thing Just that I'm like really that. excited <laughs> about. Yeah. I'm really excited to to hear from uh, an economist because you know in, in that economic study, you know, even though there were there are absolutely things that that should raise concern right. from our community about the economic impact, but there are also a lot of things that highlight our potential and and the way that we could prosper you know, if given a chance to decolonize, to change our political status. And so, you know, it's going to be exciting to be able to hear these different perspectives and to be very critical. Obviously, it's not just all sunshine and rainbows. You know, decolonization is a long, difficult, strenuous process, and it's not going to be easy. But I think that what we're really looking at is, you know, how do we push our, our island, our community you know, into the future? Right. And how do we, you know, how do we anticipate you know what is going to happen next and how we can best be prepared for it and you know for for us i i've found that in you know my assessment of our community we are not in a place right now where 
we're just going to go right into it and start debating political status. I think that a lot of people still have questions about why we need to decolonize. A lot of people still are, are operating on misinformation about our current political status and what that means for us, how it affects us. And we see this a lot, you know, for example, when we talk about the Compact of Free Association, a lot of people get upset about, oh, why is this happening? Why are all these people coming here? You know, the, you know these people are, are creating this negative impact on our community, blah, blah, blah. But what we don't talk about is why this is happening and why Guam was never a part of the negotiations. I mean, look at where we're at now. We have our governor asserting that she wants to be involved in compact negotiations. And now, and we're only just deciding or trying to figure out, are we going to be included? And are we going to be included as a participant or an observer? And I think that that's a and direct... I think it's also funny that whatever our involvement is, we're just going to be happy to be involved. In right. And I, something, you're right. I get the point, you know, uh, people will look around. We don't control the immigration. That's something that we would control in, in the event that we change our political status. But, you know, I kind of, I, I got to disagree with you, though. I feel like the people who aren't on board and are still questioning the process or just doing that to play devil's advocate. I don't think their minds can be changed. Yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely I, I, agree. And I got to call are. out the congressman because he's one of these guys that's in this position to um, really, you know, knock on some doors in the, the nation's capital. But instead, uh, he kind of represents this, you know, oh, everyone's going to have to give up their passport or, oh, this and that. And, and that's the fear mongering. And I just don't address it because I feel like, I mean, and the march will show that most everybody else understands the process and why it needs to be done and and I feel like I'm on that let's just get educated already you know I want to see like what statehood you know free association absolutely I I, I agree I think that it's exciting to to think about you know what what potential the our community holds in terms of being ready and and desiring this information and right. so you know I'm I'm I I'll think that it's it. it's yeah. definitely challenging but you know we we still have we, we still have a need you know to to understand the process and i think that there are a lot of people who who are more knowledgeable than others and i would say that we really need those people to get involved you know those are the keep in mind that our task forces are comprised of volunteers you know and these guys have their own full-time jobs and responsibilities and we really need our community to step up and take an active role and the more that we see things like the march or you know things that agitate our community the more we see people getting involved and right, that's yeah. what i take away from it you know as I, I really am am encouraged to see that that type of activity and i'm hoping that in the future you know folks will be motivated to want to get involved and to play an active role yeah and i feel like these these people these naysayers and these people who talk about you know you got to go see the wizard of oz or whatever <laughs> i mean if if you really um love the U.S. presence here, and I mean, obviously it's a big part of our life, then why don't you get in the statehood? Uh, well, you know, we have a whole option to become right. part of the U.S. here. You know, I really that's think, what I see. I, you're right. right. They need to get involved with the process. I think that that's one of the misconceptions also about decolonization, you know, is that a lot of people view decolonization as this, uh, this vehicle that's going to take us farther and farther away from the United States, when in actuality, decolonization is about empowerment. Right. And yeah. so for even the even for the people who desire a closer relationship to the United States, like you said, there's an option Put your money where your that, mouth is. Right, that allows us to be right. closer. Yeah. But even in the other uh, options, free association, independence, both of those allow opportunity for our community, our government, to also create a closer tie to the right. United States. And I want to read this comment here, Mel, because I see this a lot as people, um, they hear decolonization, they think independence. I mean, I just see it so much, and, and 
people don't understand that decolonization is the process and independence is one of the um, options. But we have a comment here from uh, Peter. Plebiscite is a useless waste of time and Davis was a huge unnecessary distraction. Independence now is the starting point and build from there. It's the moral imperative. Um, plebiscite, a useless? I think that the... Obviously, I feel like you disagree with that. I do. I, I You know, I think that the... The value of the plebiscite is to to create an opportunity for those who are colonized to to have the opportunity to exercise their voice. I think it's you know it's it's irresponsible for us to ignore the the history and the you know what has happened in the past and why we are in this situation now. You know the the Organic Act obviously gave the people of Guam U.S. citizenship, but it also kind of tied us into the status and it prevented us from from having a more equitable relationship with the United States. Yeah. Um, I mean, even with Puerto Rico, you know, Puerto Rico has a similar status to us, but uh, they're an incorporated territory, you know? So even in that situation, you know, they, they're able to have a little bit more autonomy within the American system. Right. And we are, it's not perfect. Obviously, they, they're still undergoing their own challenges with self-determination, but, you know, I think that the plebiscite serves as a, as a way for us to to establish the exercising of the voice right if we don't right. exercise the voice then how do we realistically pursue any given political status now there are some people obviously like peter who assert that you know we should just assert our, our independence or assert what status we want um but i think that 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 has to begin with the plebiscite right that begins with the plebiscite because we're allowed to then get an assessment of where our community is at um, so, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's a definitely a difficult conversation to have, but I think that the, the bottom line for me is that, the, you know, the status quo must go. The status quo is, is, is deficient. Hell no, you know, status like, quo. Yeah, I'm working, on a, I'm working on a rhyme for it. You know, yeah, like I'm sure you got some rhymes, bro. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that when we, when we think about, the, uh, about decolonization, obviously a big part of the conversation is assessing the current status. And a lot of people are very uneducated about the status. You know, I mean, you talk to the average person on Guam doesn't understand what the Jones Act is and how it affects us. I mean, that's clearly... A status one issue. One of the biggest ones, yeah. Right, absolutely, and it's something that impacts us, you know, in our everyday lives. I mean, obviously, immigration is another one. EITC, federal unfunded federal mandates. I mean, the list goes on and on and cock on. Cockfighting. Don't forget the cockfighting. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the cockfighting. <laughs> but you know, I think that when we when we look at the opportunities with a change in political status, we can see that there there is a lot of potential for growth in our island, and there's a lot of opportunity for us to address some of the things that that we, in a lot of ways, feel powerless to fix. Right, yeah. And so, you know, I- Preaching to the choir, bro. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and uh, we got a comment here from um, Jess, uh, Pam Camacho. I don't even know how to unpack this comment, Jess, because you weren't very uh, specific. I disagree with the decolonization. So how do you unpack a comment like that? I mean, where do you even start? Um, well, I think My thought is that's why waste time. Like, if you disagree <laughs> with it, oh, fine, on to the next one. You know? Well, I think that um, I, I, I think that that's not an uncommon statement. I think right. that there are a lot of people who who are content with the status quo. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the saying goes, right? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And I think <laughs> that a lot of people they are familiar enough with the status and they've grown comfortable enough to be complacent. Right, yeah, but, and, that, and I think that's one of the biggest um, challenges for, for you guys is um, telling people that 
and that's why I feel like it's degrees. I had this conversation with somebody uh, last week where uh, they compare it to Hong Kong and they compare Guam and they, you know, say, oh, well, China's a, a real tyrant and that's my, my uh, one of my close friends. Um, but I don't think anyone's saying that we're, it's the same stuff that's going on in Hong Kong. I think that there's degrees of it and whereas um, people like, I guess, Jess and uh, Pam, they disagree with decolonization because there's that fear that they have. We're like, oh, what's going to happen? We have to give up our, our passports. But I think that's why I don't subscribe to the personal or the emotional argument about decolonization. I'm more of like, you know, these political things like the Jones Act mm -hmm. and, you know, immigration right. issues. They're more compelling than right. telling someone who's got a pretty comfortable life, that which we do have, uh, that, you know, decolonization is causing them pain. A lot of times it's a hard sell. But when you start talking about this is why your groceries are expensive. This is right. why the cost of living is so high. This is why we have these problems with migrants and, you know, being able to kind of clue them in on that's why we need the economy. I think it's a much right. easier argument to make. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I, I think that, that, again, you know, that goes back to education and our understanding of our current status. I think that a lot of people just are operating on a lot of misinformation or are, you know... Or are, no information. Aware, yeah, or no information. Right. I think yeah. that that's pretty accurate. And so, you know, I, I, that's definitely part of the role that the commission will play is that, you know, the, the way that I, I look at it is that the commission itself... Uh, we manage the three task forces, right? And the task forces, their job is to educate on their particular status that they're advocating for. Whereas the commission itself, our job is to educate on the status quo and about the need for decolonization, right. the process of decolonization. Yeah. We're not here to advocate for any particular status. In my opinion, I personally think that we suffer when, when any particular task force is not actively engaging we as a whole suffer because then it, it creates a situation where people are they, they're missing information right yeah. they're not able to get a proper assessment yes we're calling out free association and statehood i just got to call them out because i mean and that's why people decolonization independence that's why they think that is because the independence task force is the one that's out there doing meetings right. they're doing all kinds of stuff and, and i feel like those there's that lack of the voice and the conversation from two of the major options that I feel like a right. lot of people would, would get behind. Yeah, so and I get on it. Let's go. You know. <laughs> well, you know, we really are doing our best to support uh, all the task forces and to put them in a position where, you know, they can be successful. And, you know, I have to say that, that as much as, you know, we can, as much as we can complain about inactivity, I think that the commission itself has to take some responsibility. You know, the commission has been very inactive for quite some time right, and yeah. we have to, you know, we got to step up and that's really what we've been doing since I took on this role. So you have to go tell to, Uncle Eloy and I, hey, let's go, Uncle. Well, we definitely, you know, I'm happy to say <laughs> that we have a, we have a, we have a pretty good working relationship with all the task forces. You know, we've, we, we have been very deliberate about sitting down with them and meeting with them and, you know, assessing what all of our needs are and what our challenges are and how we can best support them. Uh, you know, we're excited that we have we've positioned the commission in, in such a way where we will be able to roll out a lot more content than we have in the past. Good. We will be able to create yeah. more opportunity for discussion. And I think that that is the that has to be the impetus for 
the other task forces to get involved and i think that we'll see that a lot more once we get rolling right um i got it man we're the time i just want to bring it back to the conference uh you said that there wasn't a lot of room but is there is this something that anybody can go to and sit yeah in and so listen? the conference was uh the conference was actually open to the public it was uh it's free of charge uh we now we were flooded with requests to uh, for people to attend the conference. We actually just finished filling out the last seats. Uh, we actually had to go back in and ask the Sheraton to expand the capacity so we could accommodate more people in the public. Um, and we're you know we're fully at capacity now. So we're really encouraging folks to uh, to watch on Channel 12. It'll be broadcasted live. Uh, it'll also be on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and so you know we're hoping that people will tune in if they can't be there physically. Um, but there will also be a rebroadcast. And so, you know, we're, we're really hoping that this conference is something that people will want to listen to and will want to catch. Um, and, we're, and I think that the, the bigger thing is what happens afterward. You know, how does this conversation evolve after the right. conference is done? And I think what you said earlier about kind of mining the conference and the speeches oh, for absolutely. the content to get out there. It's, yes, um, definitely. It's a good way to get that info. Well, Mel, what time is the conference on uh, check-in is going to start at 8 so we should be underway by around 8 30 so uh, Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday, Friday okay. and it'll run until 5 p.m. nice okay so there you go uh, the is this the first ever actually no there was a self-determination conference back in the 90s Wow so and but th there hasn't been uh, who was around so. in the 90s huh. <laughs> <laughs> so the second yes, ever. yes. <laughs> there you go so uh, like I said in closing I just want to I feel like this is the time you know I'm um, the movements are rising. The turnout for uh, you know support of decolonization um, was, I think, uh, pretty awesome. And you're seeing these movements around the globe with indigenous uh, people and you know the awareness that they're raising uh, for their causes. And I think you know Guam is just uh, next in line for some. Uh, shooting, oh, absolutely! So. I'm excited to see the deliberate parallels that we're going to draw between us and other people who have encountered and the insights too. I'm pretty yeah, sure absolutely. you guys are going to take away a lot of insights. Yes. All right, Mel. So. Thank you. Always a pleasure, man, to have uh, Mel on here. You know, guys, I wanted to get him to spit some uh, spoken word <laughs> at the end of the thing, but he, he's got his uh, executive director. One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> we'll do both pretty soon. <laughs> All right. Hey, this has been a group chat. Again, uh, if you like the show, share it around. I get your friends, especially, uh, you know, a lot of people in the decolonization uh, movies and people who aren't even. If you want to find out uh, more info, I felt like we covered a lot of ground. Uh, my name is Chris. This has been a group chat for KUAM starting lineup edition of Facebook Live shows. Esta Joss!